I've always been a fan of uh, you know polymath approach to life or the Renaissance person. You know, of, I, I I'm not very developed in many years, but I, I really uh, highly regard people that are very well educated. I'm not saying that in an elitist way, but just people that have range and have looked into a lot of things. And there is a point in life where you do need to go, okay, I can't be a musician, a magician, a painter, a doctor. There's just not enough time. If I was immortal, that would be my ethos, but we're not, unfortunately. This is a Studio Scotch podcast presented by Scotch College, Western Australia. Hi, this is Sam Sterrett. And I'm Steve McLean. And this is The Range Project, a podcast that explores the benefits and challenges of interdisciplinary education. We want you to imagine an arrow flying towards a target. What if we told you that the arrow is you, and if you fly straight enough, fast enough, long enough, and fixate your attention on that one bullseye, you'll have the best chance of success in life? Well, this podcast raises the question, is that really true? What if you slow down, take your time, widen your range and add more strings to your bow. We'll have conversations with people who've expanded their range and found their passion by dancing across multiple domains. So welcome to The Range Project. Joining us today is Pierre Ulrich. Pierre makes a living by deceiving people, but not in the way you might think. Pierre is a professional magician. In this podcast, Pierre shares his varied educational background and discusses the benefits of seeing the world from multiple perspectives. His passion for history, his knowledge of science, his love of the environment, and his ability to speak multiple languages not only make him a world-class performer, but also a really engaging podcast guest. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Pierre Ulrich. Yeah, thanks for being one of our first guests on the uh, Range Project. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I don't know if you remember this. The first time I met you, Mm -hmm. I think it was in the Windsor Hotel, South Mm -hmm. Perth. Yep. We're having lunch with a few engineering guys from UWA. Yes. And we had a big chat about bird training. Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And see, I didn't know you were like a magician or dabbling with being Mm. a magician at that stage. You're still environmental scientist. Um, But then after the meal, everyone was pressuring you to do all the tricks and things. And and I was blown away with one of the things that you were doing. It was, I think it was a mentalism task, but you were kind of almost. Looking into their brain. Yes, that would be kind of a mentalism presentation yeah. type mm-hmm. of magic. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was blown away because it's, it's completely out of my realm of understanding it's how fun. you're doing that. Mm. That's we're gonna, the point. We're going to talk to you about some of that stuff later on. But the first question I want to ask you is when did you make the call to become a full time magician? Okay, so full time would be just over two years ago. Yeah, but I've been doing magic since I'm ten years old as a hobby and a passion, and professionally, as in doing paid engagements, I've been doing that for maybe twenty five years. Started with some kindy shows back home in Canada when at Quebec when I was a kid, or my parents' friends would book me for little events, as you do at that time when you're fourteen, fifteen, and then uh, when we moved to Australia in ninety seven, so twenty two years ago now, I started doing more and more bigger engagements, corporate events, private parties. 
And it started getting pretty busy over the weekends, and I uh, realized I really loved it. I mean, it's completely different to what I was doing as a, a regulator or, or and a consultant in the um, resource sector. But uh, I felt before I get too old, it's my last chance to give it a go. And um, other than the last month of hiatus, but uh, all of us have had it, really. Uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Really busy two years of building a business and performing. Great. So it was a, kind of a slow build-up. Yeah, just, that's right. I didn't just jump jump over the cliff overnight saying, yeah, I love magic. I'm going to do it. I, I, I had a plan, and I think that's important in life. Uh, you know, I did study hard. I loved what I was doing, just not as much as magic perhaps, or at least at the time, and I felt I had more to give through magic, at least for this point in time. Things. And do you remember your first performances, do you, your first public performance? Do you remember how that went and you, what you were feeling? And that yes, kind of? oh, I would have been horrible. I, I was young, you know, we're talking 13 years old. I did little street shows. You know how kids can have lemonade stands where you uh, – I, me and my two neighbours, uh, we, we learned really bad magic and we did our little shows for the neighbours. Yeah. But I kept studying it. Back then we didn't have the internet, so we had a public library – not far and it kind of this room reminds me of it in some way it was uh and we would uh, i there was a little magic section not a huge one but i read all the books cover to cover mm. i'm curious pierre about if we backtrack to when you were 10 yeah and you first started thinking about magic mm-hmm. where did the could you could you go back to a particular moment in time where where you saw a magic trick being done by someone or you or someone in yeah. the family was yeah, inf- yeah, an enthusiast sure. or there's a few events it- that are kind of blended in my memories but i think most kids like my son's four and he's already uh, probably because he sees me but kids that age they kind of are aware that there's a thing called magic tricks or magic and it involves weird movements and things that shouldn't happen happening so i obviously got that as any kid did um, but there's a strange aesthetic and mystery surrounding magic that gives the bug to people who get it. So mine would, yeah, as I said, around 10 years old, we would do these little, the books, fast, the images, the old engravings. And I've brought a few to show you guys of old books and newer ones. Uh, they, they used to fascinate me, mm-hmm. the drawings from his, like medieval magic. And, and then there was also an, an article published in a local lifestyle magazine, which covered magic, you know as a performing art. And apparently there was a guy in my city, in Quebec City, his name's Guy Camiran, Gary Wellet, one of them's passed away now, but they were famous magician in the scene. One of them was a big guy. He consulted with David Copperfield and all that. He was also a lawyer by trade, a barrister, but he did that as a side passion. And there was a beautiful article with photos of the old like coins and cards and objects. And that just, I still remember exactly what the, photo was mm. uh, and that really appealed to me but then there's other memories like yeah there was a, a guy a carpenter who fixed my parents garage uh, over a summer like he was transforming it into a room and he did a bit of magic and when he saw I was kind of into it he fooled me with a couple of effects and even showed my mum one and she did it to me and I was like wow that's amazing so yeah all of those and then eventually mum took us to see a David Copperfield show when I was maybe 14 or so all these things definitely are memories of when you uh, fight. But that can be any same with sport, you know, or any hobby or, or passion. Mm. Mm. You're talking about the the aesthetic that you create. Um, yes. And you actually, I can see the passion when you're talking about it. And you actually like to present that in your shows, right? You talk about how um, magic is looks like 
it's actually happening in front of you, but you, you actually you're quite explicit about the fact that it's 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 entirely an illusion. Which is is that an original thing that you do? Or um, oh no, I think more and more. I mean, it's like post punk and music, or right. post. You know, in the old days, yes, there were charlatans using magical techniques to pretend they had superpowers, you know, for ages from the immediate... Uh, I mean, magics, they say it's the second uh, oldest profession in the world. So are you, are you uh, the first being buff? barber, of course. Sorry? Are you a real history buff with the, with uh, magicians? Yeah, I'm not the biggest, but I'm pretty well read. I mean, there's some people, um, like in any pursuit, that just get into the technical aspect, but some are really into academic. Now, there's a whole sub culture of magicians that love history they're mm-hmm. not necessarily great performers they just love they have massive libraries and they, yeah there's a, because magicians surprisingly are very prolific publishers even though it's supposed to be secret they love showing their discoveries yeah mm-hmm. and sharing it because it's not it's secret but if you know someone's really into it that's when you start teaching them yeah um well, can I ask yeah. you um, some of your like? Can you talk about the variety of the work that you do now? So it's not just stage shows. There's corporate events. There's yeah. education. So what? Tell us about some of the things that you're currently doing now. Yeah. So there's different categories of magic. Um, and um, but wait, we digress. We I needed to answer the question you said. You say it's not real, so it's important. So yes. So it's a bit of a modernist approach to yeah. say that, but. And then there was a, a time where guys would just keep it very underground and obscure, like what they're doing. But now I think everyone's quite aware that it's a theatrical art form. So there's, it's a bit silly to pretend otherwise. I mean, once you're on stage, you can act anything. But when you're talking about it, I think it's good to say, it's, but it's a real phenomenon. Mm. Uh, it doesn't lose any of the magic. No, mm. in a way, it's mm. almost more beautiful. Mm. Uh, I mean, mm. isn't astronomy magical? Uh, you know, in its own sense or science, you know, physics is magical. Mm-hmm. And the more you know about it, the more weird and magical it is. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's a real experience that brings real emotions, but it uses a mixture of psychological, technical and uh, theatrical means to create that emotion. It might be very short lived. You know, you might see something and go, wow, that's amazing. You Google it, find a secret, go, oh, but during that five second or five hours that you were fooled, you had an amazing, weird emotion. Okay. I guess for that reason, you, you've constantly got to keep changing what you're doing. Correct. Uh, people are, and nowadays the information is so available that there's, there's actually, it's been good in somewhere areas where it's pushed magicians to go really hard. Some of it's just online. It's only for video, which is a bit of a shame. But if you can do that live uh, and still always push the envelope, it's quite great. Hmm. So, that's, so yeah, then it led me to that question. Yeah. What are you What are you currently doing, and what What's the diversity of your role at the moment? Yeah, so I'm pre, I'm very uh, polyvalent. Like a lot of some people will specialize. They just do card gambling demonstration, or only stage magic with big illusions, or only do me- mentalism. I do a, pretty much all of it. Uh, I shouldn't say it, but I do it quite a lot. And also, there's different forms. You can do it up close roving and strolling or on stage so at the moment i do um my bread and butter is still maybe 40 percent is walk around roving gigs where you're at a party or an event and socializing with people and doing in the hands magic that completely vanished for the last six weeks as you can imagine Mm -hmm. then there is um stage performances or parlor shows where you're you know in front of an audience and you perform Mm -hmm. Uh, i do those at festivals outdoors or in theaters and corporate events, and then yeah, yeah, that's right. Corporate events is big as well. Like uh, 
could be a shindig or, or some, sometimes I've been booked to perform uh, at meetings, like to, to do brainstorming sessions or back to work mm-hmm. sessions, for, sessions with an engineering yeah. civil firm that wanted me to just talk to them, just make add an hour of fun in their day of corporate uh, discussions yep. on health and safety, for example. So I did that at the start of the year. That was great. And fun. you've been moving into education a little bit now. Yeah, so what I've have done, you been doing in that space? Yeah. So I do school shows, library shows. And lately I've been doing a lot of um, kind of workshops with, with uh, kids, uh, mm. formed a couple here at Scotch. Yeah, it's it's College. Amazing experience uh, just to teach about creativity, thinking outside the box, positive thinking, as, and using magic as a vehicle, but really just to talk about different various methods and, and messages. I'm really interested with that point you made about specialization because you mm. said some magicians specialize and others um, have a bit more of a diverse range of types of magic mm-hmm. that they do. Mm-hmm. Do you think, because we're really interested in, in how that applies to learning in general, that idea of specialization versus being a, a generalist, and I'm curious to, to hear what you think about having tackled all those, all those styles of magic, yeah. the fact that you've got that, that range, does that f- then feed back into particular areas and help you get better at, at those, the fact that you've got this broad Yeah, look, range. it can definitely help, and I think we'll talk about that more. Mm. Within a field like magic, sometimes, uh, same as, let's say, a medical uh, science, uh, being a doctor, you can be a GP or you can be a specialist um, oncologist that uh, deals with cancer. Uh, one will require a very narrow study of a very specific field for longer and in a way, uh, you might be more skilled in that than the GP will be at each of the, you know, the whole expression, jack of all trades, master of none. That's not necessarily correct. But um, with magic is the same. Like if you're a generalist, it means maybe I can do good sleight of hand, but a pure that guy or, or a girl that only does sleight of hand with coins might be better at coin magic than I will be. So that's something to consider. So how has it benefited you then to be more of a generalist? It just means, uh, well, for example, work-wise, it means you um, you, you have more uh, flexibility. It also means some people, uh, they, they get told, hey, can you please perform? Or, or you're in an opportunity where it would be of good value, would give pleasure to people if you perform. But they're like, oh, I'm not... I don't have my mm. helicopter and my boxes and my assistant, or I don't have my pigeons, or you know, uh, oh, the surface is not good for doing card tricks. So it is good to be able to. So I can kind of perform in all situations, which is really great. And I can say for like some magicians say, oh, I don't do kids magic. That's a bit of a shame. Like kids love magic, and if mm. okay, maybe not for a living, but if you're at an event and there's or in life and there's kids and they go, oh, we want to be entertained. And you're like, no, no, I only do deep and meaningful mentalism for adults. It's a bit strange. Yeah. So that's one angle. Well, yeah. I guess you can do the matinee show and you can do the nighttime show yeah. too, right? It's so for me, that's been great, uh, both from a business perspective and satisfaction of, yeah, giving pleasure and spreading magic through being able to perform a- anywhere. And you brought science into the education side of it as well for the kids' kids magic Yeah, magic so I've got a magic science show. I'm still developing it. It's, it's a challenging one because... Um, Parts of me says I should just do a pure science show, like a science demo show, a blow up hydrogen and mm. elephant's toothpaste and all that. But I've kind of integrated that with magic. It's kind of good because you can show the difference between rational thinking and illusion mm. uh, and using your critical mind to decide what's real and not. 
Yeah, it's so, probably quite an important thing to learn these days. Yes, very. Uh, well, forever. Um, so, yes, because my background's in science, uh, you know, I studied biology here at Curtin Uni, and uh, I, I thought it would be fun to... I'm passionate about science as well. Science is magic, as I said at the start in itself. It's actually much more magical than magic. So I think it's good for people to learn about that. Yeah, I mean, it's part of your general understanding of things that you it's not just you're not just a generalist in magic but you you've got a science background you speak multiple languages yeah look i've 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 always been a fan of uh you know polymath approach to life or the renaissance person you know of i I, i'm not very developed in many years but i I really uh, highly regard people that are very well educated i'm not saying that in an elitist way but just people that have range have range and have looked into a lot of things. And there is a point in life where you do need to go, okay, I can't be a musician, a magician, a painter, a doctor. There's just not enough time. If I was immortal, that would be my ethos, but we're not, unfortunately. Uh, yes. Do you think, can you articulate how the fact that you speak multiple languages, the fact that you do magic, the fact you've been a scientist, how those sort of, that range feed into how you leverage all of those different skills yeah, for yeah. each one, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's how a you good use... question. Um, yeah, so I think it's very good. It's something I'm going to try and instill in my kids. So when I was a – I grew up in Quebec, a part of Canada, which uh, especially in Quebec City, it's only French pretty much. Um, so French was my first language, uh, but very young, you know, my dad would he, – he loves languages, so he inspired us to learn like count to 10 in Japanese and yeah learn English as well of course which we do in in primary school eventually but some people will not Uh, I think that learning because languages are very associated with culture and they have different uh, angles associated with with languages not just the cultural but just ways of seeing life broadens your horizons so within Anglo-Saxon or within Latin culture there's going to be views if you study Chinese which I can't speak uh, it's a Mandarin you will learn a whole different way of thinking you know, they have symbols that have imagery associated. Mm. So it just opens up your, your your connections in your mind. You know, the more you know, the more you know. It's a boring saying, but it's kind of true. So, yeah, languages, are, I think knowing, you know, I'm, I'm fluent in English and French, but I studied Italian and I speak uh, Indonesian all right, like, you know, intermediate, beginner, intermediate level. And there's a few other languages I've dabbled with, but I wish I had more time. Again, it's a, some people are proper polyglots and they speak fluently 8, 10, 11 languages, which mm. is amazing. Mm. But that's probably all they do, <laughs> uh, or maybe mm. not. And then to go back to the other things of doing art. So I love drawing, I love magic, which is a theatrical art form, and I love science. Technically, they've got nothing to do uh, with one another, but in a way they do. You create, you realize links. You know, Einstein, his famous saying, uh, imagination is more important than knowledge. That's what he's saying. He's saying if you just study physics and maths, Great, you'll be probably a good mathematician or physicist. But to be like, you know, at his level, uh, he was a genius. I'm sure there's some physiological brain aspects that we haven't explained of of any genius. But nevertheless, he was recognizing that uh, uh, imagination, so having ideas that probably stem from art and different disciplines of science and his upbringing, who knows, help him develop some of his theories, you know. There's a lot of um, Nobel Prize winners. I think they're about 20 times more likely to have some sort of artistic pursuit outside of their realm of speciality. So they'll be musicians or they'll be 
um, painters or they'd be woodworkers or so. They're Nobel Prize winners, 20, 20 times more likely to have one of those. Well, that suits. makes sense. It just mm. allows it, just you have more tools in your toolbox. Mm, yeah, so you can fix tools. more issues, you know, as you, because life is full of uncertainties. So, uncertainty. so as you stumble upon them, if you go, oh, I happen to have the right tool here, here it is, you know. Oh, I have playing cards. <laughs> what a segue. So cards are interesting. <laughs> did you know, guys, that um, this is great. So um, did you know magicians use cards? It's strange because really they're, they're a game design object initially. Um, but they've just have such... Symbol- why have they become so popular? Why is it Why is it? I so actually, that's a great... I don't know why magicians... I think because in a small object, you've got 52 plus the two jokers possibilities mm-hmm. uh which probably was used for gambling yeah. or whatever pursuits back in the you know forever uh you know that playing cards are invented the first evidence of cards were actually on tiles made by chinese um they were like probably mahjong Ma- Ma- kind of game style then the persians no sorry yeah indians and persian came up with cards that were like on parchment and then the europeans came up with more the modern um you know hearts club spades diamond which i think is more the french style of of cards and um you know i speak about it in my shows but it's pretty cool cards are like a calendars you know how there's a 13 i talk about it. i'm sure you've heard it mm. uh, there's um 52 uh, yeah four seasons four suits 13 months uh, 13 lunar cycles 12 months but there's actually 13 values in a pack of cards uh in in each shoot and if you add up all the there's 52 weeks in a year and there's 52 cards and if you add up all the value did you count <laughs> i'll show it for those at home here if you just add up all the values 364 so if you go you know three plus four plus, all right yeah uh, and then five and six with the jokers for a leap and normal years so some people say it's a coincidence i think it's just maths but mm-hmm. it's pretty cool so anyhow people including charlatans to tell the future and stories have used cards forever and i think because they're so easy to they're just the right size to put in your pocket and do put stuff with yeah put them up your sleeve uh they've become really popular object <coughs> or in your mouth oh ah sorry <laughs> they've become <laughs> sorry about that it's then it's what i ate they've become really popular object sam do you want to try a trick love to okay i think um just for the uh, the, uh, the benefit of people seeing, uh, I think we can see here. Yeah. I'll leave that as a point. In, actually, the balcony here. This is a little microphone connector. This will be a point in space. Um, so I want you to um, just touch anyone you want. Yeah, lean over and yeah, yeah, pull it out. And you can bring it out and just give it to me so everyone can see. Okay, good. Yeah, take it. Okay, good. And just say stop when you want. Stop. Good. Just chuck. Chuck it in here. There you go. On top. Excellent. That was easy. So Sam picked a card. That's going to be his choice. <laughs> now, if I just, I'm just going to cast a shadow of mystery. You see the shadow? So I've, shadow is a dark shape. It's absence of light. And if I just spread through the cards, see there's one card that's gone shadowy. <laughs> I know. I mean, one card is fine, but what was the card you were merely... Um, well, you looked at seven, seven of, diamonds. of diamonds. Lucky it worked. Okay, and the shadowy card. <laughs> but now I'll put that here. We'll do it with a different one just for Steve. So I'll sh- shuffle like this, and when you want, I'll keep it in camera. It'll be easier. Say stop as you wish when you want. Stop. Here? Yep. Is that a good one? I'll That's show a great one. Yep. Okay, I'll try and make that one go shadowy. Whew. Sorry. 
only one card can go dark at the same time. You remember I said, was it just a perception <laughs> thing? So did you also have the seven, what was yours? Seven of diamonds. Did you pick the same? No. Oh, was it a diamonds? Yeah. What was yours? Ten of diamonds. That's crazy, eh? I don't know if it rubs off or not, but yeah, there you go. Shadow cards, I call it. Thanks. That is excellent. <sighs> What were we talking about? I don't know. Oh, yeah, the idea. tools of the trade. Yes, correct. Uh, having tools in your toolbox, including... So cards are amazing because, you know, there's the maths. So 52, let's, let's ignore the jokers. Um, 52 factorial is a huge number. So essentially they say that if someone shuffles a pack of cards nonstop, like, sorry, if all 8 billion humans shuffle cards for 100 years and they spread the cards, the order of the cards might never be the same once in that whole period of time. So like there's so many permutations. So every time there's a shuffled pack, that's maybe the first time in the history of humanity that this specific order, two plus jack plus five, has ever been together. It's pretty mind-boggling. <laughs> wow. Anyhow, so there's an infinity of stories you can tell with a pack of cards. <laughs> well, can we, can we jump back into a little bit about how you learn? You obviously can't do a degree in magic or anything like that. You've had to probably learn a lot of this stuff on your own. What are, what are some of the ways that you've learned all these tricks? I guess there's some manual things that you've learned. I know you recently learned, taught yourself how to do a Rubik's Cube and, and then you incorporated yeah. that into part of your act. So, And there's, there'd be a mindset involved with constantly being passionate about learning new things yeah. too. So can you talk a little bit about that? Definitely. Well, that's kind of what I love about magic is it's kind of unlimited. You know, someone will come up. So Rubik's Cube magic didn't exist 10 years ago. Oh, there, there was a few things around, but it was very rare. Mm -hmm. But then um, a few magicians started developing routines, and, and about five years ago, it exploded. A few guys went on, you know, yeah, America's Got Talent, the Rubik's Cube routine. Uh, plus, in parallel, also, um, Rubik's Cube solving has become a thing again. It's massive. I mean, it dates from the 80s, um, but it's made a comeback. Kids around the world are having competitions. Mm -hmm. You know, the world record's like four seconds or something. It's crazy. So magicians put it together and I, you know, I was 40 and I'm like, I can't solve this cube. It's actually hard. Uh, so even though it's had nothing to do with magic, because I love magic and I could see there was some cool magic you could do with this puzzle, I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to solve it. So I actually put my, and I don't have a great memory. I'm not a natural mathematician. Uh, yeah, it's, not, it's something that I need to work. Uh, you need to have really good memory to learn the algorithms to get quick enough to make it. And a lot of muscle memory as well. Yeah, that's right. Muscle memory and, and just memory and mainly muscle memory that's linked to it. And also to be really good, I think there's something else, which I don't have. Those guys that do it under 30 seconds, you need this intuition. I think you need to have spent years with a cube in your hand, you know. Um, so, yes, to summarize, I, I, uh, I watch videos, I use books, and I, I wrote down. So they're all techniques you learn as a student. Yeah? How do you learn? You, you either say something, you watch something, but then you have to usually do it. Like in sports, muscle memory is a lot, uh, in magic as well. Then some other things are just memory, memory. You need to remember the sequence of things. And some other things will be just tips and techniques, like public speaking or theatrical uh, techniques which are more 
human psychology, let's say. So all of those need to be learned. Um, yeah. Can I ask, is, is there an element to which why you chose the Rubik's Cube um, almost to challenge yourself with versus other types of magic tricks? And do you, yeah, you, how you differentiate between what, what ones you think, right, I know this is going to be the next month of my life yeah. focused on this. I look at, well, as I said, it kind of became big in the magic underground. So I'm like, you know, there's this thing of self. Being part of that community. Yeah, and just enjoying the challenge, going, how are these guys doing it? Or I know how they're doing it, but I can't and you want mm, to learn. Mm. So there's that, you know, com- competition against yourself, I guess. But um yeah, there's other areas where I could have spent more time on specific card techniques or on Dove Productions, mm. but um, that one seemed, you know, you, again, it's a small object you can carry in your bag and, and, um, and sort just, of seemed conquerable. Yeah, to it did. Extent. For a while, I was a bit, I was about to give up because it's, it's actually hard to just to get that first, I can solve it under a minute mm-hmm. uh, without having to refer to my notes. So that took me a couple, a month. A, few, a month and a half. Mm-hmm. And the tricks that you do with them, are they things that you've come up with yourself? Or you... uh, there's a couple of subtleties, but no, my, you know, it's a mixture of things I've read or videos of, of other people. So I'm not a Rubik's Cube specialist, you know. I know it looks impressive what I do with it, what you saw those other days, but there's some people that are much better at it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, cards is definitely one of my big strengths and some some of the mental stuff. And now I'm working more on stage pantomime work, which I'll, I'll showcase a bit later over the coming years, uh, hopefully. Mm. And you brought uh, some books in. So what, what have you learned from those? So, yeah, learning. So, look, ideally, um, traditionally magic is often done through mentorship. So you have a, a person that's a better magician than you that says, you look interested, I will teach you and so there's magic clubs that facilitate that in some parts it was very close where it was i choose you as one of my students and i never got to do that unfortunately those guys in quebec that i mentioned didn't pan out that i became a student but i did join a the the quebec magic club as a kid and you learn a bit there but it's only once a month and so for me back then was essentially books or vhs tapes kids it's a thing (laughs) better (laughs) Or VHS, or uh, what is it? Yeah, better yeah, or, VH, or VHS. Uh, VHS. Yeah. So I had a VHS tape. So yeah, back then already it started with videos. Nowadays, you can learn a lot just through Google and YouTube, but uh, there's too much. You know? So back then, uh, so I learned books with books. And it was interesting because I learned my English a lot through books because uh, even though there's quite a big literature of French magic books, because we're in Canada, most of it, the Americans have a big... Uh, production of magic books so i got english magic books so i was learning from and some books i tell you there there's not much there's not many drawings you know um wow so this is called expert card technique this one is a bible of card magicians called the expert at the card table it's a small book you can get it in most bookshops in the in america anyhow uh, over a hundred illustrations and that's it and the, uh, the the English use is from 19, I'll tell you now, early 19, 1902 it was first published. Wow. So it's 118 years old. So it's an old book. Uh, but it was very well written. The guy who wrote it, it's a mystery. No one knows who it is. He hid, he didn't want to get um, um, attacked from by either the magicians or the gambling because he divulges a lot of gambling cheating techniques mm. but it became so it still is a reference for most magicians so as an 11 year old kid you you go there and you go whoa and you read this and it's it's hard so you've really got to be dedicated so i would sit down and 
I think this one I got a bit later, but this one's called Modern Coin Magic from GB Bobo. So this one has little drawings of hands holding coins. But you can imagine the, the difficulty as a as a youngster trying to um trying to learn this. You're going hold something in a grip. So what really helped me was my my parents took me to a magic shop in Montreal and I got a book called Now You See It, Now You Don't. So there's many books like it, but this one was great because it had, this is the original one. I've had it for yeah, 25 years, 30 years. It had a lot of beautiful illustration. It's a classic of, and it's all sleight of hand. It'd be great for kids with all those illustrations. Yeah, so at 12 years old, I could reach there and just go, oh, I'll do magic with, with, and I could just read, see this coin and walks across the fingers, walks across the hands. I can just read them what's in the book and practice. So you use a mirror time and all of that to create illusions of magic. Uh, nowadays you can use camera, just put your phone and film yourself and watch it. But the best is still to be with colleagues and say, Hey, how was that? Did that look good when the coin came out of my nose? Uh, can I do that again? Or things like that. So, um, so yeah, books were amazing. And there's, there's beautiful classic. This one's called stars of magic. I got that. I was like 14 years old and, I still perform some of the piece. It's from the 40s or 50s. Look at it. Beautiful old black and white drawings and it smells amazing. So it's something that the youth of this day sometimes has lost a bit because they have so much access to videos on their phones. However, serious magician, it's great. Even young magicians now, they go, oh, I'm studying this book, you know, and because it is easy. There's a different way of learning. If you see a video, you're going to emulate the person, not just what they're doing, but so sometimes it's great for hard moves that are really hard to understand when you read it. So you go, okay, you show me. You can often me. learn a lot more when you try it yourself, right? Correct. And fail yourself. Yeah, but that's right. If And it's looking at principles or how a routine is layered. And sometimes you come up with your own stuff because you do it a bit different yeah. to what, what it really was uh, meant to be and you come up with a better uh, better idea so this whole thing about you know this range when you read I think it's good to do all of it you know have a mentor if you can jam with your friends watch YouTube videos or buy DVDs you know downloads now of magic and read books it's all different layers and I f- so I think magicians nowadays are better technically the young ones than I was at that age and probably already still like the the learning curve is amazing do you think do you think that forces when you read it, it it's a bit like when you read a novel versus watching a film it sort of yeah. sparks the imagination oh, yeah. more than a more than watching a video of someone doing yeah. it so therefore well, i read all you, the harry the lord of the rings before the movies the harry potters before the movies and the uh, game of thrones before the tv series i love my fantasy or i used to and uh, they're better the books, like the stories in my head were better, even though they were great when they got made uh, in movies or TV. For the, the story in your head is unlimited, mm. you know. You can create the elves or the orcs ten times better than any director can, you know, in your mind. So so I guess the books are pretty good for the, the manual techniques, but a lot of what you do is based on persuasion and illusion and, and that. So where, yeah. where, where do you learn all that? So you can read mentalism books where they go, you know, talk to someone that way or do something. For example, uh, Steve, hold this 50 cent piece and just put it behind your back. I don't know if this is going to work. It's just an experiment. But I'll show you what I mean. Um, put it in one of your hands yep. and bring it up. You know, it's like the old heads and tail. Yeah, bring it forward. So now just by looking at you, I think it's in there, correct? Yeah, open it up. Okay, that's cool, but that's don't get too amazed. You're, you're acting amazed, but really it's 50-50. 
That's not magic. Put it, do it again. Change hands and whatever, okay? And bring it out. You can, don't be sneaky and put it under your, your seat. That would be... I'll do it so see, can see. see. So psycholo- psychologically, I'd be tempted to say it's in the same hand and you just flinch who it is. So yeah, that's great. So do it again. So, so that's twice. So, but every time I've done it, it's only been 50-50. But as you know, in the, if you study uh, probabilities, it's two times two. So that's one out of four chances I just got because I've done it twice. So bring it out again. So do you play poker? No, I hate gambling. It's, you know, my father told to me when I was a kid, gambling is a tax for people that can't do probabilities. You just don't win. <laughs> or if you do, you lose it. So no, I've never, ga- I've, I've tried, but it's so boring. I love doing tricks. Uh, yeah, can I see your hands again? Oh, that's a tough one. I think you've put in the same hand again. Yeah, see, so now that's, that's, that's one out of nine. So now it's going from the, ah, look, 50-50 into the realm. Do it one more time to make it really impossible. He just, he's testing how stubborn yeah. I am yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> into the realm. So as you move forward, it goes from the improbable to the, not to the, oh, yeah, 50-50 to, oh, unlikely to improbable to impossible. <laughs> Bring it out one last time, or else we'll bore them. Okay. Ooh, that's ooh, oh, that's a tough one. I think it's in that hand again. Oh, oh. see, he got me. See, so we got pretty deep. Yeah, we got pretty deep. So uh, some of the things I've seen you do, like I don't, I can't, you, I can't. Are repeat. you? Is the blood coming back? You were holding. T- you oh, were like, that? is that yeah. what you were looking at? No, but I could see you were like this time. He was I was stressing me. out. Yeah. Um, um, some of the things you, you kind of get. People to like put their hands up and then say, put your right hand down, but you keep, I can't remember what you're doing. You get like, keep your hands up or something. Are you determining who is more? Oh, yes. So hypnosis. So I'm not a, a hypnotist per se, although I, I think it's great. Like the stage hypno, hypnotism is, it's an old, it's its own. Well, so there's medical hypno, well, thera, therapeutical hypnotism or clinical hypnotism, which is one, one, one uh, discipline I'm not too familiar with. Not everyone's as susceptible as no. others, right? No, I think right? It's, it's, it, it's not a very well-known phenomenon, but essentially you, you're getting people to relax, stimulate their imagination, and on stage anyhow, to create stories. You create stories for them, and, and they, will, they will play along if they're susceptible to quite, quite deep levels. Uh, you can get someone to jump off a bridge uh, under hypnosis, you know? Uh, and do many other things that they don't want to do or act really silly on stage, they, they can't. But if it's something that's positive, most people will get a really good positive experience out of visualization and going along. So, but yeah, I've never really trained as a hypnotist, but there's a whole realm in mentalism where we use some of those techniques. So I do use some, some, some uh, basic uh, rapid hypnosis techniques. So yes, getting hands together. Um, uh, just you can tell people that visualize really well just because they're nodding when you're telling them a story. So you pick those uh, people to come and assist. So that's something I'm happy to share. That's basic method. But it just means your show will be better because the people that come on stage... Uh, will be uh, easier to willing do. to get involved, yeah. huh? willing to get involved, yeah, and just the fun to to take on a journey, you know. Yeah. Mm. I had a question for you, Pierre, with regards to hypnosis and mentalism, and I listened to this guy Scott Adams, who is the creator of Dilbert. It's like a cartoon, oh, yeah. famous cartoon, yes. and he. He was a hypnotist. He's, he's oh, a trained hypnotist. I didn't know that. Yeah, and, and he had these fascinating things to say about hypnotism, and one of them was. Uh, it taught me that uh, it's sort of the inverse of the way people tend to think. So he said people tend to think that we're rational 95% of the time and irrational 
five percent of the time. Okay. You know, so we just occasionally make some irrational decisions. Yeah. And he said, hypnotism teaches you that people are, for the most part, quite irrational, but they're very good at rationalizing <laughs> their, their behavior. behavior. To yeah, I wanted to ask you what to what extent you think that's true and whether you have got some insight on that with regards to mentalism and yeah oh look i don't have any expert insight although it makes a lot of sense and i mean i've read dilberts they're great very mm. satirical fun mm. um comics um i look at the end of the day magic or mentalism and is is performance but what it does the fact that so many people are really happy to play along and go on the ride or, or you can have really rational people that shut it down but even in that realm people still want to believe really strange things like magic doesn't make much sense that's the whole point of the art form but there's still people that will say no no you must there, there's more to it than just than just tricks which you know it's tempting to go in the dark side and say yes there is but what i'm doing anyhow there's not it's I think rational people still find value in being sucked into that illusion. Yeah, well, look how did you do that? Look, look at all the conspiracy theories during this this pandemic. Mm. People love silly stuff. I don't know why. There's something about humans that is deeply flawed in our way. Even though we can have amazing rational, you know, we can do mathematics and build bridges and go to space, we also believe really silly things. And as a magician, I don't want to go. There is a whole branch of magic that has gone in that area. Well, I'm well aware. I love to just take it as the, the expeditive experience at the moment of, wow, this was cool. The card turned to black or he knew in which hand it was four times in a row, three times. Uh, you so know. you like to weave in the, the, the mentalism um, but not have it as sort of a dominating force of the yeah, show. I'm, I'm actually it's pulling just... away. I'm doing less and less mental. It's because it's very scarily powerful, and I don't like that because mm. people, for that reason, people just get too much into it. Freak out a little bit. Well, it's – yeah, and I'm, I want it to be harder. Uh, Slot of hands hardest because in a way – and it's more challenging. Um, I shouldn't say that, but it's true. I just feel like um, for me anyhow, this is very – not selfish, but it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to enjoy what you do. And, um, do you still th- use elements of persuasion to distract people from where they're looking? Yeah, at? definitely. Yeah, that's right. And it's But it's pure. There's no lies. You're not saying, oh, I'm reading your body language when you're not. Uh, there's a, It's actually, look, there's these objects and – my movement and my, it's like a mixture of my magic of sleight of hand is essentially a mixture of my, juggling, micro juggling and, and mime. You're miming things. And it's so technical. Like the levels that I want to get to before I get too old and start having arthritis, there's some amazing stuff you can create with, with just movement. And I find in a way that's even more magical and mystical than, uh, using a bit of deception through words. And tools, gimmickry or whatever, or, you know, you can imagine there's a whole realm of IT magic out there that's, I find horribly boring, but it creates miracles. You can, but it's not challenging. I mean, you can, the challenging bit is the acting, but it's, it's a bit. You like the technical challenge. Well, sleight of hand is sincere. You're like, Mm. I'm showing you something that's not real, but it's looking real. But if, if your story is, is a deception, then you're already a step a bit too deep. Anyhow, this is going a bit in weird magic underground uh, talk, but that's something that I think a lot about. Does it? Yeah. It does it. Does that translate to your own philosophy on life at all? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I think it's a valid uh, objective to try and be dealing, truthful. Dealing with the truth. And, yeah. yeah, and, you know, we all have our demons about that uh, every minute, I'm sure. Um, but I think truthful, I, I, with regards to facts around us, with regards to our relationships and how we deal with that, uh, it's something, it's a challenge, really, as you get older and uh, as a, you become an adult to be truthful and to have your action match your thoughts and your words match your thoughts and your actions yeah so, so in magic there's a big thing because magic's a lie but it's a playful lie but it can be pretty serious if you're like yeah i'm reading your thoughts and and you take it really seriously people will believe and i'm without going into any too philosophical or religious discussion um i i prefer being honest about so just saying look I have a coin and just by going like that, it looks, it looks like it's vanished and it really looks. And if your side of hand is really advanced and your whole body language is doing the lying, but in a really honest way, that's pure beauty for me. So that's what I'm trying to work more on nowadays. Have, have you ever been tempted to use knowing what you know about the psychological um, power of it? For evil. Yeah, well, <laughs> when I say that, I don't mean I mean like... To maybe Benefit encourage yourself, maybe. encourage someone yeah. else's behaviour, so yes. even if it's for a noble cause, yep. but in but use that in well, a particular way. Have you read the book Shantaram? Yes. Yeah, the whole thing of the book is do the don't do, what is it? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially you can do the the right things for the wrong reasons, mm. or you can do the wrong things for the right reasons. Ideally, you do the right things for the right reason. So there's your answer on that of what I think. But uh, yes, but even that, by talking about it openly, like we did in those um, growth mindset workshops about, so even though you're saying these are just theatrical techniques, you're empowering people to use their imagination, think outside the box, be positive, say, look, this is not necessarily real, or I can't really read your mind, but... There's some real information you can glean from people in social position. How to so yes, at meetings in workplaces in my past uh, career, I would use definitely you know like public speaking methods or eye contact methods or. Um, so did you develop a lot of those things naturally, like your public speaking skills and your engagement with the audience? Is that something you? Actually worked on? Oh yeah. Or was it something that you you're quite engaging? anyway or is it is i was pretty shy as a kid but you know socially but i yeah because i loved reading and books and languages i've always been very verbal but that's kind of what i'm trying to do less of now and do more visual stuff because it's it's a challenge but this is personally um but yeah sometimes i see other magicians which i see as master magicians whether they're mentalists and, and i'm like i'm not there yet you know I, or i watch videos of my performances and say I'm not saying the right things you know you've got to be critical of yourself but yeah de- so yeah definitely it's an area as a magician if you're taking your craft seriously so you'll watch you'll self-reflect and then oh yeah i try and film every show and go ah oh, this was horrible you know, no one likes seeing themselves perform, but you can also go, I moved around too much here. Um, I didn't, I said a hundred words when I could have said five, you know, that's something I personally struggle with. Mm-hmm. You know, talking too much is a big problem in life or, I, you know, listening is important. Talking is good at the right time, but ideally silence in theatrics is so powerful. You know? Imagine I didn't have to say a word and you knew what to do. I think I think that's often the way, right? With actors that you that I love, uh, you know, on screen, like like a Ryan Gosling, for example, is often 
minimal amount of dialogue that he uses in a film, but you can, they just have a close-up on his face and you can kind of read many emotions, you know, and that's that sort of takes him to that next level. I think that's yeah, maybe I true think, for a magic magic show as well. Yeah. Uh, let's try something. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm holding us back from the magic. <laughs> a weird visual thing where your card goes blank and then the cards go blank <laughs> but see like, technically so I just don't, don't understand you, how that's physically possible like but, I'm looking at you right there and I just oh, you're like this way what uh, what was your card I forgot I didn't even look eight, at it eight of hearts oh yeah I did look at it um, well it's blank now <laughs> yes yeah, so that's a, an effect where normally I'd talk but technically was there a need to talk no I mean really it was Fine to do it as um, as a standalone piece. So, yeah, so I'll try. This is cool as well. I like these really. This is a bit hard, but I'll try it like this angle. So you just go and just print it back. Did that, did that work? Yeah, it looked pretty neat. Um, so I'll try it again. <laughs> then imagine the card. Where's the camera there? Uh, this might be bad. For, okay, there we go. It's like just an invisible thing. I don't know oh, if that looked oh. or We might need to... Uh, Edit that one. No, it looked, yeah, that, looked great. Yeah, from, okay, good. Perfect from where so I So these are really hard things, but I find that great. And you can spend a year just practicing that those two trick. moves. Yeah, and they're not life changing, but at the moment, if it's done perfectly, it can be. Like, it's mm. like, what happened? And you don't have to use playing cards, are a bit overdone. I'm trying to learn stuff with credit cards and like just business cards. You could do the same thing. I mean, business well, cards. Do you get any pressure from your parents to stop mucking around with those cards? They're never going to amount to anything, kind of? Ah, oh, I think they're, they're. Firstly, I should say that my parents have always been supportive. So, no, they've never said that. Uh, they've probably got a bit, you know, like any parent who. Um, you know, everyone wants stable. But look at what's happening now. People are losing jobs who had the most stable careers. So um, uh, magic's been really, uh, if you're good and you dedicate yourself, in a way, you're your own boss. So you can technically um, make it very, very safe. Uh, uh, you know, you can work for a bank and lose your job. Uh, but no, I think, no, they were always really supportive of it. Plus, I didn't just jump in it as a 17-year-old full-time. I did study and try to get the best grades I could ever get at uni and then got a job and worked. I'm not saying that's ideal, but, you know, with this whole thing of range, having that experience of working in government, working for public, uh, private companies, traveling a bit. So before, after my, um, when we moved here, before going into Curtin to starting uni, I wasn't sure I was hesitating between biology or graphic design because I love drawing as well. Um uh, my partner now is a graphic designer, so it's fine. We've got it in the family. But so I ended up going. So I was hesitant, and or industrial design. I like building weird things. So um, and then so I went traveling for a year and a half, and then I started uni. 
best thing I ever did because it really, I came back and I knew a bit more who I was. I was a bit older than the other kids, well, students at uni. And, and I got like ducks five year, four years in a row and got, you know, the best student of the whole undergrads. Not because I was smarter. I had to work really hard because I, I'm not, as I said, a natural with maths and memory. I, and biology is a lot of memory. So I had to develop techniques. So I'd draw everything 10 times to just burn it in. And um, So why am I but saying you, but that? But you knew so, what you wanted to do. So yeah. I knew, yeah. And I might go back to it. I love biology. I love science. It's great. But yes, so, um, no, my parents never, they always encouraged the math. They loved the fact that, you know, I wasn't just doing, hey, I'm a biologist and that's all I know. I have no other interest. They love the fact that ma magic's great fun. Same as being a good musician. I mean, you play guitar. Yeah, we're both musicians. Oh, how yeah. powerful is it around a campfire when you bring out a guitar? That's magic, you know? Mm. And that's a skill that's that's for life, you know? So. Yeah, one of the um, one of the things we, we are talking about is delaying that specialization. So everything you're talking about there, yeah. taking a little bit more time to think about what you're doing. Uh, it's quite important for yeah. finding that passion yeah. and, and being more successful in your vocation. Yeah, whether it's uh, with sports or languages or just going traveling. You know, they're all saying, go travel. I mean, now it's a bit tough, but hopefully it comes back because the youth needs it. I mean, it's, there's nothing better for compassion uh, than, than seeing how other cultures live. That's why languages are great. They even take you deeper in the understanding mm -hmm. of another culture. Um, yeah, it's part of our IB philosophy here. The, um, the school takes on that approach as well for kind of developing that international understanding. Okay, yeah. Well, and same with history. Like I was listening to, I think, Hack on Triple J just on my way here, and one of the present, uh, they were talking about uh, some comments uh, about... Um, Yeah, historical aspects of uh, Captain Cook's arrival, uh, which, uh, you know, was definitely a colonial um, asp uh, arrival in a continent uh, and, and a big cl cultural clash. But uh, some of the present, uh, some of the, I think it was our guest, didn't know about Joseph Banks, you know. Oh, I've never heard of him before. It's like, knowing history is so, that's another area. Even if you, oh, I, don't, I won't become a historian, but even if you're going to become a lawyer or uh Scientists, you need to know your history. That's not just your, the history of the world. Now, I'm not saying I don't know what year the, the Ming dynasty in China did such things unless you become a specialist. But just knowing in general that based on archaeological and historical data, that's proper data, this is our, you know, of course, a lot of it's biased through culture, like the, you know, Western culture will have a, A specific angle. If you speak to traditional owners, they'll obviously have a different view on, on the history of Australia, which is 60, 90,000 years old. And that's a fact. Like, people need to know that. Okay, there's a lot of areas we don't know. But so, yeah, knowing uh, history of all history of the whole world as much as you can. And there's books that summarize it. Like, in a book, you can just read the thing and you'll understand. Oh, wow. Okay. So there was a thing 10, uh, 4,000 years ago called the Neolithic Revolution that happened after the last Ice Age. And it means people sedentarized in the Fertile Crescent in, you know, what's now the Middle East. And that's why there's the oldest cultures of the world. That's why they fight. And some of the oldest religions. Oh, wow. And then they started agriculture and building cities and 
and um, domestication of animals. Okay, great. Just knowing that changes your whole perspective on, on life. And that happened everywhere around the world. So you need to know all of that, you know. Yeah, some people struggle with facts. And I guess in what you do, even in your magic show, you, you like to keep that. Yeah, I love spreading knowledge, like information. Yeah. Even saying, how, not this is how I did the trick, I hit it here. That doesn't really matter. But yeah, telling them, look, it's just an, an illusion. I think that's more interesting. And, you know, some facts we don't know for sure. It gets revised. They might find a manuscript that said, no, no, actually, the Egyptians were around for 5,000 years, you know, not four and a half. But in a way, that doesn't matter. At least you need to know that, you know, traditional Australians probably came island hopping from Indonesia about 60,000 years ago. That's a, it's a fact. You can document it through mitochondrial DNA uh, of, of females. Did you know that you can trace all humanity through the... In our cells, uh, the mum's DNA gets replicated in the mitochondria. So yeah, that's yeah. how you can go all the way up to, to African ancestors. That's a fact, you know. Oh, do we know all of how it happened? No, but that's pretty fascinating. So it's important to know that, or at least know that people spent their life studying it and wrote about it. Then you can make your own decision as to so whether... So do you still delve into biology? I mean, you've had a bit of time at home, a bit of homeschooling probably for the last little while. Have you been <laughs> yeah. teaching, teaching your kids about well, biology or magic? What have you been doing? Well, um, yeah, sorry, I got very passionate there. But yeah, I just love the range of knowledge. It's so important. Um, so yeah, history is something that I'll keep going. In a way, it's almost more important than... Than science, because the, the history of science, it's called epist epistemology, mm -hmm. I think. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. history of knowledge, something everyone should learn, at least understand it's a thing, you know? Uh, yeah, so my, my elder is only four years old, so he's not into biology yet, although he's great. He goes, Dad, coronavirus, it's tiny, tiny, tiny. It's not the same as a bacteria. Yeah? It's the smallest thing in the world. Is it life, Dad? I go, well, some people say it's not alive, but it is a, probably the simplest form of life. So, yeah, he is studying biology. It's been great. Interesting magic as well? or Yeah. yeah. At that age, yeah, because he sees me always playing with yep. magic stuff. But uh, at that age, it's, you know, motor skills are very hard. You know, the kids are, are not very agile. Um, but, yeah, he's starting to go, hey, Dad, look, I've got a rubber band. It's gone. And so he understands it's a thing and it's fun and it's about having a little secret that you can show something, he'll get into it. But I would never force him to to do, you know, to take it seriously. But I think he won't have a choice but to see a lot of it and he'll make up his own mind. Uh, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, Pierre, thanks for coming in. Really engaging and, yeah, we, we both learned a lot too. So. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. I thought we were just started. We hope you enjoyed our chat with magician Pierre Ulrich. Please join us next week on The Range Project when we meet with Akram Azimi, Scotch College's Scholar-in-Residence.